Amen. Well, what a wonderful time of worship it's been so far this morning, and we want to continue our worship as we dive into God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Micah. And uh, while you're turning there, I do want to say Happy New Year. I was out last week. I want to thank uh, Pastor John for filling in and bringing a message out of the book of Habakkuk. And uh, that's a very small book, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and uh, I was so blessed by that uh, message, and um, I hope you were as well. Uh, but then this week, uh, the Lord just kind of led me to the book of Micah, and it's another small book. So uh, if you're looking in your Bible, it's, uh, it's a little bit past Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah. You're going to go a little bit further, and uh, you'll run into Micah. If you have a phone or an iPad, it might be a lot faster to find it uh, than in the book. Sometimes when the, you have the, the physical word of God like this in your hand, sometimes it can be a hard book to find. It's, there's only seven chapters. It's a, it's a smaller book, uh, but a book that teaches us a lot of great truth. And, uh, and as we start this year of 2021, though we started it last week, as we continue, I should say, this new year... Uh, we want to, and I want to start this month by talking about the basics of the Christian life, getting back to basics, because if there's anything that we learned in 2020 is that there's a lot of things in life that we really don't have to have. There's a lot of things that we're doing that we really don't have to do. Uh, for instance, uh, last year, a lot of businesses found out that they can run just fine without central offices. Right? There's a lot of people that are working from home now, uh, and, and they have found that you know, really you don't need to lease a building. You don't need to lease all these offices for the business to continue. Now, if they're making profits or not, if they're going up or down and how effective they are, I have no idea. But we have found that many of them have survived throughout 2020 that way, and many have moved now to just remote, uh, just working from home and not working at the office anymore. And uh, for those that have to commute to work, we've been very thankful, haven't we? It's kind of like, man, the roads are a lot clearer now, a lot easier to get to, uh, to, get to school. Uh, in fact, uh, Elijah went into Macedonian Christian Academy this year, and, uh, and so we're commuting from here all the way to Alamo. And I heard a lot of horror stories in 2019 of how long it was going to be to get there, and I have to wake up at 3 in the morning just to get there at 8 and things like that. And man, it's been great. This whole year has been nothing but just like 10 minutes to get there. I mean, there's nobody on the highway and it's, it's been great. But, but through all of this, we have learned that there are some things that we don't need, but there are some things that we do need. There are some basic things to life that we, that we need, no matter what, no matter what uh, kind of year we're having, there's just some basic things of life that we need. And in the Christian life, it's no different. Just like there are some basic truths that we need to live by in our life, there are basic truths in the Christian life that we need to apply and live out. And, uh, and it's something that Micah, uh, this prophet that lived uh, back in around 700 BC or so, he, this was his message. And if you read all seven chapters, that's, that's basically what he is saying in all seven chapters. He, he, he tells the people, this is where you're at, people of Israel with God. This is where your relationship is at with him, and you need to get back to God. You've left God out of your life. And, and, uh, and so the whole book really centers around that theme, getting back to God, getting back to the basics of what it means to be one that's living for God. And I, and I believe in 2021, if there's anything that we need as we start this year, it's getting back to the basics, getting back to the basics. So go ahead and look, if you will, in Micah chapter number six, and I'm going to read verses one through verse number eight, but we're only going to really focus on the message on verse number eight. But as you read verse one, down to verse number eight, it gives us a little bit of context. And so let me just kind of set up, if I can, this chapter about what's going on. Micah is starting his third message. You can kind of divide the book into chapter one and chapter two as a message, his first message. Then uh, chapters three, four, and five is Micah's second message. And now you get to chapter six, and it's really his third message, right? His third message that he's giving. And uh, this message starts out with God in a courtroom, and God is laying out a lawsuit against his own people. 
He's trying to lay out what the cause is of why they're so far from him. And he's really uh, not only pointing out their fault and their guilt, but he's kind of saying, and what have I done to deserve what you, uh, the way you have treated me, what you have done to me? So I want you to notice that in verse number one, he starts by calling some witnesses to this courtroom. He asked the mountains and the hills that have been there longer than the people of Israel have been there in the promised land. And he's, he's telling them, if the hills and the mountains could speak, they could tell you that what I'm saying is the truth. They witnessed it. And so he says this in verse number one, hear ye now what the Lord saith, arise Contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. So he's calling them, hear ye, O mountains, the, Lord, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal. That ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I want you to notice really quick that verse 6 and verse 7 once again. Because now this is the people's response. I know in, uh, when you're reading it, it almost sounds like it just all runs together. But, but God is saying, what have I done for you to treat me the way you're treating me? He said, if I can bring my witnesses in and the mountains and hills, you can testify because you saw this. You saw when I took them out of Egypt. You saw when uh, the king Balak hired that false prophet Balaam to try to curse you. And I changed the cursing into blessing. You know about what I did. So what have I done to you for you to get away from me? For you to treat me the way you're treating me? And notice the way the people of Israel answer. The prophet put it in these terms as they answer. He said, wherewithal shall I come before the Lord and buy my, bow myself before the high God? What, what shall I come before him with burnt offerings? They're saying, well, 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 what do you want, God? You want us to come with burnt offerings? Maybe it's rams because I've, I've read that. I, I know, I think, God, you, you had instructed us for, to, to sacrifice rams or animals. Is that what you want? Or, or maybe thousands of rivers of oil because the oil was poured onto the sacrifices. Is that what you want? Or maybe you want our firstborn. Maybe we can, we can give you our firstborn and sacrifice on the altar our, first, our, our firstborn. Is that what you want, God? It's amazing. You know, whenever we get far away from God, it's amazing how much religious things we think of that, will, that we think in our minds will get us back right with God. It's amazing. They're far from God. In fact, Micah and Isaiah are about the same time period of, of ministering, even though they were in different parts of the country. And uh, Isaiah's outlook on it was, you know, these people, God told Isaiah, these people, they, they bless me, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they, they know the religious stuff and they know what they that they're supposed to do this, but you know, they, that's just how they're doing it. And so now they're answering, is that what you want, God? I mean, good night, okay? Is that what you want? And notice how the prophet Micah, through the Spirit of God coming upon him, he, he takes them back to, this is what God is asking you to do, people. Get back to the basics. Notice what he says in verse number 8, and that's the text we're going to study this morning. He said, he has showed thee, O man. Now Michael's, uh, Micah's answering the people. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? I know that word require in our English language almost means like, what do you have to do? Uh, but here in the Hebrew, that, that has more of the idea, though, it does have to do with what you have to do. But but it has more of the idea, what is God looking for? 
Well, what is God seeing that he wants you to do? And he said, what did the Lord require of thee? What is he seeking? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He gives three basic tenets of what they can do if they're going to live for God, if they're going to change, just three basic things. That's what we want to talk about this morning. But before we do, let's ask the Lord that he would bless this time as we study his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in which we can be in your word. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have to be able to come and worship you. The freedom that we have to have your word in our hands and not be afraid that someone is coming to persecute us, to take us to prison, to arrest us or to do us any harm just because we have a copy of your word. Father, we've been blessed. We've been blessed greatly. Oh, but Father, with those blessings also comes a great responsibility. There's a great calling that you have for us in our life. And as we study your word today, as we see what the message was in the time in which Micah was prophesying, oh, how important it is for us to understand you are still calling us today. I pray that you would help us to not only understand the message of this passage and the importance of how it applies to us today, but I pray that you'd help us to live it. We'd apply it into our lives and make it something that would lead us to a closer walk with you. And so work in these next few minutes, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Christian life, like any other life, is built upon very basic principles. Principles that are understandable, principles that are intelligible, principles that you could almost say are pretty simple and basic. Yet, the lack of complexity doesn't make it something easy or effortless. Right? To live the Christian life is not an easy thing. It's a simple thing. It's easy to understand, but it's a lot more complex to actually do. It's a, it's a lot more difficult to kind of live out. And, and in order to live your Christian life till its fullest, you have to get the basics down. Now, I remember growing up, my very first coach in fourth grade for basketball was Coach Gray. And it was just a small elementary team and... Uh, we were all, of course, new, just starting to play for the first time. And, and uh, whether it was at practice after school or in our PE, because our uh, PE coach uh, also kind of worked to, to try to make all the sports uh, teams work together and stuff. And so whether it was in PE or whether it was at practice after school, even in fourth grade, one thing that we did, and if you played basketball, you might remember this drill, but uh, they would either put chairs or cones depending on what we had at hand at that moment. But you would, you'd space them out maybe every five feet. And the coach would say, okay, I want you to dribble with your right hand. And when you pass the first chair, you're going to cross over the ball to your left hand, dribble with your left hand till you'll pass the second chair. Once you pass the second chair, you go to, back to your right, you cross over and dribble with your right to the third chair and then cross over to the fourth chair. And then you make your way back doing the same exact thing. And then uh, I remember... Uh, being in PE, and I remember uh, Mr. Weber, who was our PE coach, he would, he would say, okay, uh, guys, line up on the baseline of the, uh, of the basketball court there, and, and you're going to dribble all the way to half court with your right hand. And once you get there, you're going to dribble with your left hand, uh, dribble with your left hand all the way back to the baseline. And I remember we would do that and then come back. Go up with your right and come back with your left. And we did that for like 20 minutes, almost like almost the whole time of PE, that's all we did. And I just remember thinking, this is boring. <laughs> it wasn't that fun. I mean, I had played basketball on the playground without coach, and that was much more fun. I mean, we could shoot whenever we wanted. We could pass the way we wanted. We could do whatever we wanted. We could dribble twice if we wanted. We could dribble with both hands if we wanted. I mean, we could do whatever we wanted. It just it's almost felt like it was a lot more fun. But you know, you, you, uh, you have to learn to dribble with your right hand and dribble with your left because that's kind of the basic principle of playing basketball. From there, you begin to build 
on that to the point where what you see on the screen happens. You get to a point, maybe like in uh, fifth grade or sixth grade, I remember the next couple years, that uh, we started implementing an offense. Now, an offense is a kind of a complex system, all right? You, you pass the ball to one. I remember one play in high school called Carolina, and when they're playing man-to-man, and this might go over a lot of people's head, but for those that don't, I'm going to go ahead and explain it to you because maybe you're bored and you want me to explain the play Carolina. You see where the guy number one is? The number one would be dribbling the ball. In a man-to-man defense, that means somebody is guarding you, and then there's one guy guarding each person on the floor. So then the guy number five there comes up, and he screens for number one. As he screens for number one, number one goes to the right, he screens, and then that number five goes down. As he's going down, number four comes up to the, to the free throw line, and he screens number five's man. And now number five is going to the basket. His man is behind him. He's already gotten screened. And number one, who has the ball, throws an alley-oop uh, to number five there. And since we were only like five foot five, we would just make a layup. Uh, but but in, in the college, they would actually slam dunk it, right? That, that was an alley-oop. It was called Carolina. You know, you could never run Carolina if you didn't know how to dribble with your right hand or your left hand. If you didn't know what a screen was, there's no way you could run the play, Carolina. There's no way you could run a system. A system was so much more complex, but the complexity of it could be broken down to something really simple, like dribbling and passing and screening. You know, I found that the game of basketball is really simple, but it can become really complex. You get to the NBA level and you're talking about a a lot of different plays and a lot of different theories and a lot of different offensive schemes and suddenly it can get overwhelming, but it can all be broken down to just some simple principles. Do you know the Christian life is like that? Except in the Christian life, we're not playing a game. In fact, the Bible says that the Christian life is more of a war than it is a game. So I went ahead and I thought, well, what's basic training when you come to war? Do you know that there is a basic training for every soldier that goes into the armed forces, whether you're joining the military or whether you're joining the army? In fact, I went to their website. On their website, this is what they say about basic combat training, also known as boot camp. It's, a, it's an introduction to army service, and you'll learn the traditions, tactics, and methods of becoming a soldier. During basic training, you'll learn how to work as a member of a team to accomplish tasks. You'll learn discipline, including proper dress, marching, and grooming standards. Most importantly, you'll be instilled with the seven core army values and the soldier creed. Basic combat training comes in three phases. In fact, three phases are red, white, and blue. And lasts about 10 weeks, depending on your military occupational specialty, MOS. After you graduate from basic training, you'll undergo two additional phases of training known as advanced individual training, where you will learn the job skills required for your specialty. So basic training isn't where you're going to learn everything about war. It's just where they're going to give you the tools so you can learn everything about war. So you can't learn how to be a soldier until you're trained on the basic skills of a soldier. Now, the Christian life is that way exactly. There are some principles that are foundational. There are some principles that are very simple. But if you start living them, you'll see the complexity of the Christian life begin to happen in your life. And you'll see how it begins to intertwine with everything in your life. You say, uh, does the Christian life touch on how I should behave at work? Yes, it does. Does it touch on how I should raise my kids as a father or as a mother? Yes, it does. Uh, does Does it touch how I treat somebody that steals from me? Yes, it does. In fact, you could go through every scenario in your life and you'll find that there is a biblical principle or a biblical truth that intertwines on what to do in that situation. Because... As you and I know, the Christian life, it's not easy, it's kind of complex, but you can break it down to some basic principles. That's what Micah is trying to do for the people of Israel. 
They have said, oh, well, what do you want us to do? You just want us to go through rituals, God? We, we can give you the rituals. God said, that's not what it's about. It's not about religious things. It's not about going to church or singing a hymn. It's not about having a hymn book or seeing it on the screen. It's not about having the Bible in an iPad form or having it in a written form like this or printed form. No, no, it's more than that. It's not if I wear a tie or don't wear a tie. It's, it's more than that. Now, can it include that? Of course, certainly it can. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. God got to a point with the people of Israel that he said, I don't even care about your sacrifices anymore. Now, it was God that instituted sacrifices. God was the one that told them, I want you to sacrifice. Listen, if you want your sins covered for this year, you need to sacrifice. God instituted that system. But he got to a point where he said, I don't even want your sacrifices anymore. Why? Me. That almost seems like, well, well God, then what makes you happy? I mean, that's, that's where the people of Israel were. <laughs> what makes you happy? What do you want? You're the one that told us to do these things. What do you want? And God said, you know, you've gotten so caught up in this complexity of life, this Christian life, that you're so far away from what it really is. I said, you need to come back. You need to get back into the basics of the Christian life. And there's three areas, three aspects that you need to do in your Christian life that everything you do in your Christian life, it'll touch. It'll touch. I want you to notice in verse 8 the first aspect that he talks about. And that is our actions. Notice he says, what does the Lord require? What is he seeking? But to do justly. You know, actions are always part of the Christian life and the Christian experience. From the very beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, actions were important. God told Adam and Eve, listen, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except one, the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of the trees, listen, all the fruit is there for you except one. There are some actions. You, you, you can do something. You're not just going to sit in the garden doing nothing. There, there is actions and actions are important because you see, the action that they took was the wrong action and brought about fatal consequences. But you know that actions by themselves are not enough. In the Christian life, actions by themselves are not enough. If I can make it in a plainer English or even just a plainer way to think about it, more simple way. Listen, church is not enough. Just to attend church, it's not enough. Oh, but what if I give to the offering? It's not enough. Yeah, but I teach a class. It's not enough. Yeah, but I'm an usher. I help people sit down. It's not enough. Actions by themselves are not enough for God. And yet he's saying, but one of the basic tenets of the Christian life involves action. Well, then what kind of action is God looking for then? Because he said, this is what the Lord is looking for. This is what he's requiring. Well, what is it? He says to do justly. Well, I thought that's what the sacrifices are. They're not. Then what is it? First of all, it's a wholehearted obedience to God. Do you know that God is not looking simply for things to be done? Actions to be done without intention, without any kind of, uh, what would I say, any kind of thought or any kind of purpose. You know that God is looking at the heart that goes with that action? Kind of like what James told the guy that said, well, I've got works. You, you've got faith. I got works. So what well, worked without faith is dead. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. I mean, if works alone isn't what God is looking for, God is looking for the heart behind the action. See, this is where the people of Israel had gotten away from the basics. They thought, we know how to sacrifice. We know how to give rams. We know how to give animals. Listen, we're even willing to give our firstborn to you, God, 
By the way, God never, never asked the people of Israel to ever sacrifice their children on an altar. God had said, the firstborn are mine, you dedicate them to me, but you never sacrifice them. In fact, taking a child's life is an abomination unto God. By the way, I believe it's what, 1973 Roe v. Wade? This nation has been doing some things that are an abomination unto God. And God said, it's not enough. That's not what I, I, I'm not looking for just acts. I'm looking for the heart behind that. I referenced Isaiah 29, 13 earlier. He says, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, there's a was so you, you got to do that or else. And God said, no, no, no. Christian life isn't, I got to be at church, or if not, my car's going to stop running. Listen, I've gone to church now for 37 years. My car sometimes just stops running. Because the Christian life's not that. It's not a formula. That, oh, A plus B equals C every time, you know? Well, if I give and I, you know, do this and do that, then nothing bad's going to happen in my life. Maybe nothing will happen in your life that's bad. If you honor God and if you, if you love him and the actions that you have have a wholehearted obedience towards him. Or you might wake up with cancer tomorrow, even though you still have wholehearted obedience to him. Because a Christian life isn't just about actions that God's, that's what I want you to do so that way I won't do anything. No, that's not what the Christian life's about at all. To do justly is to say, I'm just going to have a heart behind what I do for God. This is not dependent upon, is God going to pay me back? Is God going to bless me for this? No, 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 no. God said, I'm not looking to see if you can pay me back or if I can pay you back and let's just have a, a loan system here. No, <laughs> it ain't that at all. You see... When we as Christians get to the point in our Christian life where we're all about actions and nothing about heart, then we've moved away from the basic truth of the Christian life. That basic truth that Micah said to the people to do justly. Just as James told the people of his day, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. That's not what it's all about. To do justly is to follow God wholeheartedly. But can I say, in our actions of the Christian life, not only are we to wholeheartedly obey God, but we're also to have an equal dispensing of justice. In other words, we ought to love God with all of our heart, but then we ought to reflect that in the actions, not only of how we serve God and what we do, but how we serve others and what we do. God wanted the people to treat everyone equally in their justice. Did you know that in Micah's day, Israel was almost at its height? Now, under King Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, it was probably at its zenith. It was the, the empire was as big as it's ever gotten. But when Micah lived, and this was Quite a few decades later, did you know that Jeroboam, he was the king of the country there in the north of Israel, and Jotham was the king of the south, and both of them did very well economically and in war. In fact, the Bible says that their borders had grown almost back to where they had been before. In other words, they had some economic power. Now, I don't know if you can think about maybe a country today that has some really good economic power. Maybe like, I don't know, uh, uh, an economy that's like grown bigger and bigger, maybe the biggest it's ever been. And maybe you can think of a country that has a stock market rating that's higher than it's ever been in its life or in its history. But I can think of at least one. And yet, both Micah and Isaiah said, even all with all this, listen, 
We've got all the economic power in the world, but we're far from God. Far from God. We're no longer doing justly. In fact, Isaiah said that this is woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Can you think of an economic power, a country that has, I mean, just all of the desiring possessions that you would ever want and the, the highest uh, lifestyle you could ever want that has called evil good and good evil? I can think of at least one. And I wish I could say it's only one, but look at any first world country. And you'll find that. That to do justly no longer applies to them. Uh, you, you find that the dispensing of justice for others really all depends on who you know. There are people even in our country that if you and I did the same exact crime that they did, we'd be rotten in a prison for 50 years. But not them. We're in a day and age where to do justly, there's no justice. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And even James told the Christians of his day that were being persecuted. He said, listen, brethren, if someone comes into your church and just because they're rich, you, don't just, you shouldn't just give them the best place because they're rich and the poor ones say, ah, you're, you're down there. I know we, we, we live in a day and age where uh, people's history only goes back as far as maybe when they were born. But, you know, uh, before social justice ever came out saying whatever their message is, which isn't a really good message, there was already a social justice that was trying to be established that Christians were to establish that we are to treat one another as God's creation. And that was in the Bible. That was back when Moses was writing this thing. Societies back then knew this is what God says. We, we, we ought to have equal justice. It's not justice for one and no justice for another. No, this is for everyone. God says, what do you think I want? You're asking, well, what is the basis? What is it that you want, God? Here's the first basic thing in your actions. Follow me wholeheartedly and treat others equally. Don't treat them differently because they're a different race than you are. Don't treat them differently because they have a different job or income than you have. Don't treat them differently because of whatever reason. Because their family doesn't look like yours? No. God says, this is what I mean by to do justly. It means to follow me with your whole heart. It means to love others as well. You know, Jesus said it this way, and you can see it in your notes. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. It's a very well-known passage. He says, Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In fact, Jesus said all of the commandments hang on these two. But before Jesus said it, about 700 years before he was even here on earth, Micah said it to his people, to do justly. That's what God wants. Basic tenet number one as a Christian, first of all, do justly. Secondly, in our actions, number, number two, in our aspirations. Notice in verse number eight, he says, what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy. Our aspirations is what he's talking about. To aspire is to direct one's hopes or ambitions towards achieving something. So how do we do that? Love mercy. Number one, we must love the work of mercy. God is saying, here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one, do justly in your life. Love me with all your heart. So what you do for me is done because you love me, because you have a heart for me. And what you do for others is because it's what is right, and that's what love does and takes you to do. But then I also want you to know, you need to love mercy. And to do that, you got to love the work of mercy. You know, mercy is amazing. It really is. Mercy is the love of God that you feel and that you receive when we have failed God and messed up. A simple definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
And if you've been a parent, you've had kids, you know there are times where you are merciful as a parent. Probably because we don't have enough time to be, right, correcting every little thing they do, mistake they make. But, man, mercy's amazing. It's that love of God that says, I'm here for you, I'm here with you, even though you messed up. Even though you didn't make a right decision there, even though that uh, you've been living in a way that's fallen short of what you know to do, I still love you. And I'm not going to punish you for that decision. I'm going to withhold my judgment. That's mercy. Exodus 34, 6, there in your notes, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's awesome. I mean, I'm telling you the work of mercy in Ephesians chapter two, Paul said it this way, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. In other words, he made us alive. He forgave the sin that we committed against him. I'm telling you, I don't know how you can't get behind mercy. Mercy is awesome. Mercy is something that we love receiving. I don't know of a person here that's ever been stopped by a police officer, been given a warning and said, no, 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 officer. Now you go back and you give me a ticket. I'm not letting you get back in your car without you finding me. I need to give you my money. We don't do that. No, no, no. When he says I'm giving you a warning, it's like, a big load just got taken off your shoulders. I mean, I don't know about you, but my heart starts beating about 100 miles an hour as soon as I see those lights. Even if I don't see the lights, even if I'm just passing them, I'm always like, oh, please don't stop me. Please don't stop me. Anybody else ever just put the uh, cruise control to like whatever it is? Like, oh, it's 55 cruise control. That way, if he stops me, I'm going to tell him, hey, I was on cruise control at 55. Can't be for speeding. You know, we love mercy. Because the work of mercy is awesome. And God says, you ought, to, you ought to desire to see the work of mercy go on. We ought to desire to say, God, listen, if you could withhold judgment from them and just be merciful to them, oh, God, I would love that. You know, the Bible says God delights in mercy. Man, I don't know, but that is such a difficult prayer to pray. Oh, God, if you could not let anything bad happen to them and keep them safe, and just by your mercy, if you would just transform them. I mean, yes, they, 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 they knocked down my fence, and this neighbor, I don't even know why, but he keeps knocking down my fence. But listen, Lord, if you would just withhold judgment and be merciful to him and change his life. Oh, God, how I would love to see that. God says, see, that's what I want. I want you to love mercy. You start by loving the work of what mercy does. And when we think about the mercy of God in our life, we love it. Oh, I love it. I don't know about you, but I love it. I think, wow, God is so good. Man, the way that, listen, the way that I just treated my wife, she should divorce me, but she's not. Wow, I love mercy. I mean, if I would have said that and she would have left me, nobody would blame her. Oh, but she's been merciful to me. Oh, I love mercy. How could you not? Listen, it starts with loving the work of mercy. God says, love mercy. This is a basic truth in the Christian life. Love my mercy. That's what I delight in. But notice, it's not just the work of mercy that we are to love, but we must love to show mercy. You see, to receive mercy is exciting, it's overwhelming, but to give mercy to someone else, now that's, that's a different story, isn't it? Whenever we mess up, it was, hey, it was just a, it was just a mistake. Whenever they mess up, it's, hey, that was malicious. It was terrible. God, I mean, I'm just saying, 
If something could come and take out their fence, we'd just be even. It'd be okay, God. And I'm not going to complain. Right? It's just the fact that if you love mercy, you're not only going to love receiving it, you're going to love showing it to others. In Matthew chapter 18, we don't have time to read the whole passage there, but remember the story that Jesus shared of a guy that had been pardoned billions of dollars in debt. Then he goes and he finds a guy that owed him like $1,000. And he said, no, you either, the Bible, he took him by the neck and he said, either you pay me or I'll throw you in prison. And Jesus said that when the king heard about that, who had forgiven the billion dollar debt, he said, how could you not forgive him for $1,000 when you just got forgiven for billions? How? But before we judge him too harshly, how about you? What do you do when someone does something or says something about you? Do you love mercy for them? Do you show mercy to them? Or is that the time that you get like David to pray for the enemies? You know, Lord, strike them down. There are times when that may be a prayer. But not with God. God loves mercy. He delights in mercy. And he says this. Here's, here's the thing. He said, basic aspect number one in the Christian life, do justly. Obey me with your whole heart. Love others. He said, number two, love mercy. Love what mercy can do for you and what it has done for you. And listen, fall in love with showing mercy to others. It'll change you. Number three, and we'll be done. The third aspect is our attitude. He ends it with, and to walk humbly with thy God. The prophet said, walk humbly before God. The word humbly here speaks of the attitude that they should have as they go with God. In other words, you ought to maintain a right attitude in your fellowship with God. Humility is required if we are to walk with the Almighty. This means recognizing who He is as well as recognizing who we are. In order to maintain a relationship with God, a fellowship with God, you always got to keep that in mind. Who is He and who am I? Because let me tell you something. It's real easy to forget who you are and it's real easy to forget who He is. And we live in a day and age in which Christianity has largely lost who he is. It has. It's lost a lot of the humility that goes along with fellowship with God. Listen. Be careful not to bring God too low in your life. You say, well, look at what Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 5, 6, and 7. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was obedient even unto the death, the death of the cross. We say, man... Jesus, God, became flesh. He lowered himself and, and he came. Yes, he did. And thank God for the work that he did when he was here on this earth because he was 100% human as he came. He knew what it meant to go hungry. He knew what it meant to be talked about. And, 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 and he knew what it meant to have to show mercy to someone that wasn't being so merciful to him, calling him a drunk and calling him a liar, calling him a man that was controlled by the devil himself. These are all accusations that were made at Jesus. And Jesus, instead of returning the insult, just simply said, I love you. But as a man, he understood what all that was. But let me tell you something. He's not only 100% man. He was 100% God at the same time. He still had his deity with him. He didn't cease to be God when he was here on earth. What do, you, what do you learn from that? You learn in verse number 10 and verse number 11 that he is the king of kings, that, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what 
Ephesians chapter, I mean, Philippians chapter 2 teaches us. So here's the, the principle that I want to point out real quick when it comes to attitude and humility. Jesus is not your bro. Jesus is not my compadre. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my king. Now, though he is there as a counselor and though he is there as a friend, as the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. He's not a friend that is low in esteem, but high. That was the idea that Micah was trying to communicate with the people. Don't you see, people of Israel, you've brought down God to a level of any other God around you. You know, that's what the people of Canaan did. That's what the pagans do. Oh, I think our God is mad at us. Send him some sacrifices. Maybe that'll appease him. Maybe that'll get him off our backs for a little bit. God said, that's not what I want. Being a Christian isn't that. Get that, get that idea out of your mind. He said, I want you to understand that You ought to walk humbly with God. Remember who you are. When you're talking to him, remember who you are. When he speaks to you, remember who it is that's speaking to you. It's not your boss at work. It ain't just some other guy. It's Jesus. It's the creator. It is our God. You ought to walk humble in fellowship with him. But it also means... In our fellowship of God. To walk humbly with God includes how we follow him as well. Not just how we fellowship with him, but how we follow him. The attitude which we carry with us as we follow his commandments, as we follow his instructions must be one of humility. Listen, you and I don't know better than God. We don't know more than God. Our attitude ought to be, listen, my, uh, my understanding has limits, but he's limitless. My power only holds me to things that are possible of what I can do, but there's nothing impossible with him. You see, it's, it's understanding, listen, when I understand who he is, when I have an attitude that is a right attitude towards God, then it affects my relationship with God, and it affects how I follow God. And that's what Micah is just telling his people. Listen, it's important. It's important that we be humble as we follow him. In other words, God, where you lead, I follow. What you say, I will do. In John chapter 9, there's a story there of a blind man that came to ask Jesus for help. The Bible says that Jesus spits on the floor. The weird thing to do. He spits on the floor makes clay out of the dirt, gets that clay and puts it in the guy's eyes. And then he says, I want you to go to the pool and wash your eyes. You know, with other people, he just said, let your sight be given and they started seeing right away. I I often wonder about this. If you were there for both of those miracles, I wonder if you would thought, well, how come he gets just to you know, stay there and get his, you know, vision instantly restored. But, but my eyesight, I got to go all the way to the pool. That other guy had to go all the way to the pool. Like God's not fair or something. I don't know. You know what that shows? It shows a lack of humility. Oh, man, God doesn't know what he's doing. I need to help him out. No, you don't. God simply says this. He says, listen, it's real simple. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Man, if you can start right there in those basic three tenets, you'll see how it interweaves with everything else in your life. I mean, it it will connect with everything in your life. This morning, listen, we got to get back to the basics. We got to get back to the basics. This involves our actions, our aspirations, and our attitudes. And my challenge is simply this this morning. In this new year of 2021, will you decide with me, let's just get back to the basics. 
Let's get back to I'm serving God this year because I love him with my whole heart. I mean, I really do. I love him and I'm going to love others. In fact, this year I'm going to aspire to love what mercy can do. Not only for me, but what it can do for others. And I'm going to pray, God, help me to show mercy to others. I mean, I'm just going to simply believe today, and I just want to decide today, I walk humbly before you, God. Help me not to forget who you are, how special it is to have your word speak to me, how special it is to be your child. Help me not forget. Today is the time to just decide. Let's get back to basics. Let's get back to the basics. And if we can do that, We'll see how God in 2021 is going to grow us beyond what we've ever grown before and how our Christian life, it won't be like any, any other year we've ever had. 2021 will definitely be better than 2020 if you make this decision. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you, Father, that The message that Micah brought so many years ago, it's so true today. Oh, Father, how we need to get back to that. And I'm not even talking about, Father, how we need to get back to that as a country. I think we need to get back to that as just your people, as a church. I need to get back to that as a pastor and as a father in a home. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that everything else apart from this, this foundation really means nothing. Actions alone mean nothing. Just wanting the destruction of others that don't see it our way because they've not been redeemed and justified. Oh, Father, help us to see how wrong of an attitude it is to simply judge and not see mercy. And help us to walk humbly before you this year. That's the decision I want to make. It's the decision our church needs to make today. I hope that you would. You'd work in our lives to do just that. May this year be a year in which we get back to you. We stick close to you. That we don't stray to the right hand or the left. Help us to stay with the basics, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.